0: Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. Heather here. I am flying solo. That's right, no Dylan. But I wanted to make sure that we were able to get you out some bonus content to all the patrons out there who support us so graciously with their monthly donations on Patreon. And if you haven't checked out this week's regular Mountain Murders episode, we talk about William Wickline Jr., the Butcher. Now, he was a prison slaughterhouse butcher pretty gory case. So go check that out. Of course, you can find that wherever you stream the podcast. So this episode is actually going to be a little bit of a departure from what we normally do. Now, typically we focus on true crime, but I thought it might be fun to uh, get away from that a little bit and talk about some of the Appalachian folklore and legends, maybe some old superstitions now, I know that lifestyles have changed over the years. Um there's lots of uh you know new people that have moved into the area, so a lot of the old traditions aren't being passed down. Um a lot of shifting perceptions. Um back in the day there was I feel like quite a m- bit more focus on like supernatural forces uh that people genuinely thought of these forces as like serious threats and now they're pretty harmless. Um, So, the tall tale is kind of dying out. So, I kind of wanted to keep this going a little bit more for you, because without that embedded folklore of the region, we are no longer using our imagination. You know, we don't have to worry about trying to keep witches out of our house, or try to keep the devil uh, off our back kind of thing. So, you know, these superstitions kind of falling by the wayside. Um, you know, like the act of throwing a pinch of salt over the left shoulder was considered good luck, um, and it was a way to ward off the devil back in the 1800s. So, you know, just little things like that are kind of funny and quirky, but people just don't do these things anymore. Um, you know, I mean, I guess everybody has a little bit of something superstitious maybe that they believe in. If you got a pair of, like, lucky socks, you wore to a football game, maybe a certain lipstick, is a charm for a good date, you know, that kind of thing. And then, of course, there's always the, uh, what I call wives' tales. A lot of these old mountain traditions uh, that are recalled from, you know, usually you hear them from your grandma, that kind of thing, passed down, and usually not rooted in any kind of, like, real science, but still kind of interesting, and uh, a lot of people buy into this stuff. Like, the notion that spilling salt brings bad luck, actually dates back to the 15th century. So if you look closely, and this is something I didn't know about, but if you look closely at that Leonardo da Vinci painting, The Last Supper, you're going to see that there's a pile of spilled salt near the crook of Judas's arm, knocked over by the traitor's elbow. So that's how spilling salt is associated with bad fortune and corruption, and the action is even said to invite the devil Even though there's a lot that's superstitious and not really based on any kind of fact, that's why the throwing the salt over your shoulder is supposed to uh, help you out. Because it is believed that the devil himself stands over your left shoulder and that throwing salt that way will blind him and prevent him from taking over your body if you accidentally invited him in when you spilled the salt Well, damn, if that's what it takes to invoke the devil, then maybe I should go around spilling some salt because that actually sounds kind of (laughs) cool. So one of the old wives tales that I grew up hearing is that terrible things come in threes. Now, this is definitely something that I've heard from multiple people throughout my life. Now, pretty much anything can come in threes if you want to frame it a certain way. And perhaps it's because it's so easy to convince yourself that these bad things come in threes. Um, I mean, I guess after all, this notion has been explored, like every time a celebrity passes away, um, it's just a superstition that's really widespread and believed in. And what was it? 2016 was the year that like all of those old rock stars, um, it's like everybody died that year and everybody was like, oh, it all comes in threes. So there you go. Now, an old wives' tale that you've probably heard is that if your ears are ringing, then that means somebody is talking about you and that they're saying things behind your back. So there you go. Um, Another old wives' tale, and I wasn't aware of this one, but it's pretty interesting, is that if you carry around an acorn, you're going to stay forever young. Now, of course, there's no special healing powers in these nuts. In these nuts, you know what I'm saying? But many people believe regardless that carrying one around is going to keep you healthy. Why, you may ask? Well, the oak tree is known for its unusually long life. And if you haul around the seed of this tree, people hope to achieve that same longevity. So, I don't know. Maybe instead of uh, keeping that acorn on your person and hoping that you're going to live forever, maybe you should just put down the cheeseburger and get your ass on a treadmill. That's my suggestion to you anyway. Of course, uh, a lot of people, superstition, if you see a penny, you pick it up on the sidewalk, it's going to bring you good luck. What's that old saying? Find a penny, pick it up, all day long, you'll have good luck. So I guess a long time ago it was thought that metals were gifts from gods, sitting down as a form of protection, and seeing as pennies are made of copper, you know, metal, the currency became associated with good luck. Now, that is just a simple old wives' tale for you. So I thought some of those were pretty fun. And, uh, I mean, hey, science is no match for these uh, myths, right? Some of the other um, interesting things that I thought I'd talk about tonight are a few of the legends. Now, I put a post out on Facebook the other day and asked people to share their favorite, like, local kind of folklore legends. We got some interesting feedback on that for sure. So I've picked a few here. I have curated the ones that I thought were most interesting. Do you like how I use that word curated? Yeah, it makes me sound important, right? Oh my gosh, if you guys could see me now. I mean, I'm ridiculous. I've been I've been trying to record this podcast for like an hour and I keep uh, just feeling like I sound ridiculous and I'll turn it off and then I text Dylan. He's at work. I'm like, oh, I sound terrible. And he's like, no, I'm sure you sound fine. But I'm actually, I'm in bed. I'm talking to you guys, and I'm wearing a moo-moo. You know what I'm talking about? Like a a house dress, like what grandmas wear, like buttons up the front. Yeah, I'm wearing this one, and it's from the 60s, and it has, like, zebras on it, and it's so tacky, but it's the most comfortable, amazing thing I've ever had on in my whole life. So here I am, lounging in bed, trying to talk to you guys and record this podcast, and uh, yeah, apologize for my informal... Uh, attire, but uh, still got the the message out there for you, right? Yeah. So this is what happens when I record by myself. I really need a partner, and uh, unfortunately, we don't have Dylan tonight, right? So bear with me. Local legends. So this is one that takes place here in Western North Carolina, and I've actually never experienced this phenomena, but I would love to. So I'm thinking maybe it would make a great road trip. And if you're interested in taking a road trip, I'll even give you directions here in a few minutes on how you can scope this out. So what I'm talking about is the Brown Mountain Lights. This is a story that I've grown up with. When I was a kid, there were all these like North Carolina ghost stories written by a lady named Nancy Roberts that we had in my elementary school library, and I would check out these Nancy Roberts books. And the Brown Mountain Lights, always prominent in the like North Carolina ghost stories, always thought it was so fascinating. And you may be asking, well, what are the lights? Well, I'm about to tell you. Settle down. So for centuries, the dark skies above Brown Mountain, North Carolina, are where eerie ghost lights have been spotted. Now, to many eyewitnesses, the lights appear like glowing orbs, pulsating and hovering over the ridge line above the mountains, and then they just sort of suddenly disappear, or they seem like they explode, but without a sound. Sounds pretty fucking cool, right? It's like being in a Motley Crue show, like amazing pyrotechnics. Anyway, one of the first reported sightings of the lights, and I guess this is like an official report, dates back to 1913. There was a fisherman who claimed to see these red lights glowing above the mountain. But the story actually traces back centuries before. So the Cherokee have a Brown Mountain lights legend. There was a battle between the Cherokee and the Catawba tribes, and they claimed that the lights were from women who had lost their lovers in the battle, and that they were, you know, basically combing the, the mountain, looking for their lost lovers who were killed in these battles. So you know, that's a really old story associated with the lights. In 1922, the U.S. Geological Society investigated the lights and claimed that it was headlights from cars and passing trains. However, this was immediately debunked because there was a flood in 1916 which wiped out roads and bridges, and people still reported seeing the lights in the night sky. So, hey, you guys are wrong. Couldn't couldn't be the, the logical explanation. Now, there's another more romanticized story, which these Southern-like stories like this kind of make me gag a whole lot, but uh, I'll mention it anyway, is there's a story of a slave searching for his master, and that he's out with a lantern looking for his master who was killed in a hunting accident or something. Ah, those stories. Anyway, there have been some scientists with Appalachian State University, that have attempted to capture and study the lights extensively, but they cannot make a scientific determination about what exactly is causing this light phenomena. There have been theories that uh, there have been certain gases maybe released, um, but they just you know every time they try to do studies and tests, they're not finding anything to support these theories. But if you want to see the Brown Mountain Lights, the best time is reportedly in the fall between September and early November. You can observe the Brown Mountain Lights from the overlook on the Blue Ridge Parkway at milepost 301. And there's even a bluegrass song written about the lights. And if you stick around, I'll play it at the end of this episode. So another mountain legend, which has made headlines and even been turned into films, takes place in 1966, November 12, 1966, in a town called Clendenin, West Virginia, which is very close to Point Pleasant, and that's important, I'll get to that in a few minutes. These gravediggers, as if that's not creepy enough, actually, I think being a gravedigger would be a cool job, because if you think about it, you're working solo, I'm very antisocial, I don't want to have to deal with people. And you're in a cemetery, which is like the most peaceful, quiet place on earth. You probably have your little mini excavator out there, just digging holes. Like I think that'd be a cool last job. So anyway, these grave diggers are out working, and they claim that they see this winged man creature lift off from a tree and fly above their heads. He's just like, Ca-caw, caw, hanging out. Yeah, this kind of just reminds me of, like, you know, your redneck cousin Larry, who's had too many Miller lights, and he's, like, up in a tree, like, hey, y'all, watch this, and tries to take flight, and then he just, like, breaks his leg and uh, ends up in a cast for, like, eight weeks. Yeah. Well, that's not what happened here, but I'm, I'm getting off on a tangent. So, gravediggers see this winged creature. Of course, they freak out. It was super scary. Well, was about three days later, there was a young couple driving near an old World War II TNT plant. It's like something out of a damn cartoon. An old ammunition, not the old ammunition factory. So anyway, this couple is out driving, uh, you know, they're near this World War II TNT plant, probably about to go necking, I'm going to guess, because it's an abandoned factory. And it's about five miles north of this Point Pleasant area, when they see what they describe as a large flying man with 10-foot wings And red glowing eyes. So the couple freaked out immediately go to the newspaper with their story and thus dun 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 the Mothman was born. Now in the following week after this story of the Mothman was published there were eight more sightings of the Mothman and for a year sightings were being reported all over West Virginia. So in 1967, just before Christmas, the Silver Bridge collapsed, killing 46 people. And the Silver Bridge connects this Point Pleasant, West Virginia, um, over to Ohio. And some people claim that the Mothman appeared at the bridge just before the structure crashed. And he's kind of become known as like the Harbinger of Doom. What a great name. I want to be like the harbinger of doom. Like when people see me, they're just automatically like, oh, no, bridges are going to collapse and people are going to burn and plagues of locusts will appear. Yes. Okay. So moving along here, that's a pretty interesting legend. And again, West Virginia. So we started with the Brown Mountain Lights. Now we've moved on up into West Virginia. And now we're back to Western North Carolina to talk about a local Cherokee legend. Now, this is actually one that I've grown up with, and if you ever go to the um, historic uh, Cherokee Indian Museum, they actually have a whole, like, um, exhibit on this story, and it's a great legend. A lot of uh, local people will tell you about it. So, according to this Cherokee legend, many years ago, this is before the Cherokee settled into the region, there was a race of small, bearded white men who lived in the mountains. So I immediately thought of Papa Smurf, or like leprechauns. I don't know. They lived from the Little Tennessee River up into Kentucky. Now, the men who lived in this area, they dwelled in log cabins, and they had large blue eyes and white, fair skin. So they sound like my people. I'm short, I'm white, super pale, and I got big blue eyes. There you go. And they were also sunblind during the day. They only left their homes at night to hunt and fish, build, I mean, I guess just do the things that that people do, but they did them at night because they could only see in the dark. Now, the Cherokee called them Moon-Eyed People. Now, some say the Moon-Eyed People were Welshmen who migrated to America around 1170 and settled in the Smoky Mountains, but eventually the Moon-Eyed People were driven away from their homes and disappeared forever. But still, a legend that sticks around today. Now, another legend I have for you we're going to go back up to West Virginia. Can't get enough of the wild and wonderful West Virginia. In 1952, two brothers saw a UFO in the sky near Flatwoods, West VA. Now, the object seemed to crash on the property of a local farmer. So these two brothers go grab their mama they start to make their way over to this farmer's property and there were a few other people who had also witnessed this uh, strange occurrence that were making their way over so they all meet up and they see the wreckage of this ufo now emerging from this wreckage was a 10 foot tall monster with a blood red face and a green glowing body now i have to say If I'm ever out in the fucking woods, and I see something like this, I am going to piss myself, okay? Well, the monster hissed at the group of onlookers. I'm wondering if it was like a cat. (laughs) Meow, meow. (laughs) Well, anyway, the monster hissed at the group of onlookers who had gathered after witnessing this crash. Now, some of the group say they fainted. Others say they just immediately started vomiting. Well, eventually, they made their way into town, alerted the sheriff of what had happened. So several men with shotguns returned to the scene to find no sign of the UFO and no sign of the creature, but there were heat waves in the air and not much else, right? But what little evidence that they could find and gather, they sent to Washington, D.C., so during this time, this is what's pretty interesting, is there had not been many reported UFO sightings. The Flatwoods incident was only like the second or third report of its kind. So it wasn't like these people were just jumping on board with some crazy UFO story that they read about in Star Magazine or the National Enquirer, you know, like Bat Boy or something. So these people, this was like one of the first sightings. Got another local legend for you. And now this one crops up all over the place. So it's not um unique to the Appalachian region. But it's still something that people claim to see here. Now imagine. Let me t- let let me take you for a journey here. Imagine you're deep in the woods. You're maybe hiking along. It's a great day. Beautiful day to be outside. You know, there's a gentle breeze blowing through the trees, the birds are singing, children are laughing, it's a perfect day, and then you hear something, and you stop. Is it an animal? Is it a bear? I mean, it has thick fur. You pause for a moment, waiting for the animal to move. Your heart starts to race. Thump, 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 thump. You can feel your breath speed up. You're trying to be still, and then you realize it's standing upright. (laughs) Ah! Okay, so known around these parts as Bigfoot, others may know him as Sasquatch or Yeti or even a goddamn Sam Squinch. So if you're not familiar with Bigfoot, then you're probably living under a rock. But he's described, for those of you who do not know, as an ape-like creature. Now, some mountain folks even call him a booger. I've heard him called a booger, by a lot of old-timers around here, and others call him Boojum, and yes, that is how Boojum Brewing Company in Waynesville, North Carolina got its name. There's a whole legend of uh, Boojum and Nanny, and you can look that up if you want. This creature lives deep in the forest and leaves behind these footprints that are so large, there's no way they can be human. Now, Bigfoot has been around for centuries. If you want to look at the history of Bigfoot, he was actually traced back to Europe in what they called wild men. They were these mythical creatures with this glorious pantene hair covering every inch of their bodies. So I just imagine like um, Fabio, but like super hairy, just walking around like, oh, hello, I'm in Europe and blah, blah, blah these uh, wild men kind of lived out like wild beasts in the woods. Stories about this creature were around in the 2nd century BC. Pretty cool, huh? And in many Native American folktales. Now, just a little side note for you, a little statistic. Um, If we're talking about Bigfoot sightings, Pennsylvania is actually number three in reported sightings just behind California and Washington. But people have claim to see Bigfoot all over the place. Kentucky, North Carolina, West Virginia, Georgia. Daniel Boone even told tales of killing a 10-foot-tall hairy giant he called a yahoo. A goddamn yahoo. Well, there's also reports of an Appalachian creature known as a Dwayo. Now, have you heard of this before? Because I haven't, but I'm about to tell you. So a dueo stands between seven to nine feet tall, and they are said to look more like a half man, half wolf, and they have like a bushy tail. Now, this beast has been seen by like a lot of witnesses over the years. There have been cases of cattle mutilations um, that have been reported, and people claim to have seen this dueo, um, you know, just ripping up their cows. Now, here's another Great name for you. The Snarly Yow. So in Southern Maryland, this creature, the Snarly Yow, is commonly seen as a big black dog with red eyes and jaggedy teeth. And it was first sighted during colonial times. And apparently this big black dog, this Snarly Yow, liked to fuck with um, the colonists as they were on their horses. So it would like terrify the horses. The horse would in turn buck its rider, and when this would happen, the dog would scurry away. So basically, the dog just wanted these uh, riders to uh, get thrown off their horses. Another monster that's been reported in the Appalachian Mountains is called a Snallygaster. What a fucking name, a Snallygaster. I love all these cryptids. I mean, this is great. But this guy, the Snallygaster, is like my worst nightmare, and I'll tell you why. He is part reptile, part bird. So like a fucking flying snake. Yeah, I don't think so, y'all. I do not like snakes. So this part reptile, part bird, has a 25-foot wingspan and apparently like an alligator sort of head. Now, the appearance was traced back to 1730, the first sighting. Some German settlers claimed that this creature just terrorized them, terrorized their village, um, I guess was killing livestock, that kind of thing. And tales of this creature spread uh, for years and years. At one point, the Smithsonian Institute offered a reward for the monster's skin. So if you could take out a um, they would pay you a large sum of money. This actually enticed U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt. He reportedly considered postponing an African safari to go hunt the monster uh, after he found out that this reward was being offered. So I've never actually heard of a Snallygaster, but uh, apparently they're out there somewhere. Just waiting, waiting in the wings to get you. <laughs> so those are a few of the local legends, some of the wives' tales, superstitions, that I thought I would share with you guys. So hope you enjoyed this bonus episode, and uh, we'll be back with more Mountain Murders for you.
1: In the days of the old covered wagon, where they camped on the flats for the night, with the moon shining dim over the old canyon rim, they watched for that brown mountain light. Searching, searching, searching For his master. Sleep brought a lantern and searched in night, but in vain.